0: Welcome everyone, Um, we've been going through a series called Flourish, we're actually, I teased that we were going to close it out last week, but I'm actually going to close it out this week. Um, So this is our seventh part in our series called Flourish, and and the idea with this this series was um, how in the Bible... So often, God uses these analogies for human beings, and it's, he always uses, a lot of times, he uses plant language, right? Like be rooted and grounded, bear fruit, you're like a tree planted by streams of water. There's a lot of different scriptures throughout the Bible where God's kind of just using how plants function as a way uh, that humans can kind of function. And so we kind of piggybacked on that and spent six weeks, and this is the seventh week. And as I was thinking this week, I was like, I, I, am I done with the series? And I was like, man. There's like the most obvious passage where Jesus talked about how he's divine and we're the branches and and all of that. I'm like, I have to hit that. And I think it's a great way uh, to close out our series. So if you missed any of the previous weeks or you want to, you know, kind of get the whole series, we do post them on on podcasts and Spotify, as um, Apple Podcasts, so you can kind of catch up and download those as well. So uh, this week we're going to be in John chapter 15. Now, um, if anybody was here during John, I did teach uh, some of this uh, previously, but it's been a little while. So, I apologize if it's too much of a review, but I think the context is very, very helpful. So, we're going to be in John chapter 15, um, and we'll be through the first six verses. But before I get into that, why, why this is such an important text is that Jesus, throughout the book of John, kept making these statements called the I am statements. They were these statements where he was trying to declare who he was and. and uh, the whole book of John was this idea of, of Jesus revealing to people who God was, right? That, that God, the creator of the universe, was, is very different. He's very outside of our realm, right? And so Jesus came to reveal the Father. And in doing that, he made these, these I am statements. Now, the reason why that's significant is God, all the way back in the Old Testament, when he was talking with Moses, chose to identify himself with the statement, I am. That I am, that I am. In fact, that would be kind of like how God named Himself. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and He's trying to show the world who the Father is. He's making these I am statements, and this one that He's going to make, that we're going to look at today, is the I am divine. Is the last of the I am statements that He makes, as He's describing and showing the world who He is and who the Father is. And so I'm going to read. Chapter 15, verse 1, and I'm actually going to read the first six verses. John 15, verse 1. It says, Now I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. <clears throat> every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We'll stop right there. So Jesus starts off with, I am the vine. Now, this is very significant. Um, as I m- mentioned before, as, as he's using this plant language to... Um, describe this relationship with humans and such. Now, to, a, to the audience, who is Jesus speaking to in this time? He's speaking to Jewish uh, religious leaders, okay? That's the audience of the statement that Jesus is making, right? Um, it's always good to understand that because it helps us understand the context of what's being spoken about. Now, for a Jewish person to hear this at this time, um, it was very familiar in the idea of vineyards, It was part of their culture, right? Wine was a very was very much part of their regular diet. Um, There was vineyards throughout Israel at this time, and wine was always a symbol of enjoyment, of celebration, of life, right? And for some, it still is, right? But that's what it was always like. If if we were celebrating, wine was always symbolism of that, uh, for I think for obvious reasons. Now, good wine. This is like the most obvious statement ever. Good wine comes from good grapes, right? Shocker. Um, But with that, in order to have good grapes, you need to have a good vine. And in order to have a good vine, it takes a lot of upkeep, planting. takes time, right? You just don't plant it and suddenly get grapes. Like, there's a level of cultivation that's necessary and all of that. Now, what's interesting also to understand when it comes to Israel is throughout the Old Testament, God... Often, often, not always, but often referred to Israel as his vineyard. He's like, I planted you. I gave you the best vine. I I, I provided all the water. I put a hedge around so animals didn't go through. I did all of this for you. And and throughout the Old Testament, Israel continued to rebel. They continued to, to not bear good fruit. And so for the Israelites hearing about the vineyard and the vine, there was very much that they're taking this to heart. Now, Another cool little aspect about this, as a reminder to Israel that they're the vine, they're the vineyard of God, on the very front of the temple, on the doors, there would have been a vine embossed kind of on that. It was this ornate golden vine reminding the people of Israel that they're God's vine, that they're his vineyard. But what's interesting is that this also had messianic, the word mess, messiah means savior, implications, Right? Israel, has, they're in captivity. They've been waiting for their Savior, for their Messiah to come. And so many of them were hoping that he would be a fulfillment of that. So now Jesus stands up and he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. For a Jewish person hearing this, they're automatically going to go to all these passages about that. They're like, could this be the Messiah that they're waiting for? But I think also what's so fascinating is that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have context where God is calling humans like this idea of plant and, and growing and have root systems and be healthy and bear fruit. And then we see the, the God-man come. We see God of the universe come in human form and say, I too am a vine. I too am a plant. I, am, I just see the humanness of what Jesus is communicating, but he's more than that, right? We're going to see that he is the key to life and the key to enjoyment. But very clearly, Jesus is calling himself the Messiah. Now, he says something interesting here also in verse 1, and he says, I am the vine. He goes, my father is the vine dresser, right? The, The gardener, as you might want to call it. He is the vine dresser. And the vine dresser's goal is to take care of the vine so that it bears much fruit. Now, as we move on through this, we're going to see how God operates, right? Verse 2, he talks about how what does he do with these branches, right? He says in verse 2, um, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it bears much more fruit. <clears throat> For the last six weeks we've been talking about bearing fruit, right? Now, to always, and the thing to keep in mind is fruit is a byproduct of health, right? Um, we don't see trees or apple trees or little vineyard branches, just shaking, right, to just get the grapes out or get the apples out, right? Like, as you cultivate and care for the vine, as you cultivate and care for a tree, what ends up happening is fruit is natural. It's a byproduct. Now, as humans, it doesn't mean we don't have to work in some regards to to help cultivate those aspects, but at the end of the day, it's a result of health. Fruit is a byproduct of, of healthiness of growing, right? But what I love about this text and why I felt it was very important for us to talk about is we have spent a lot of time talking about what God has done, who God is, how we can be more healthy, but I think as we were leaving of the last two weeks especially, we're being called to work and called to be, get help, like to bear fruit and there's things that we can do to help cultivate that, but I wanted to have a time to look at that fact that yes, we're getting to work, but God is at work as well right? The vine dresser is desiring for us to bear fruit. He is at work in each one of our lives so that we can bear fruit. And what I find fascinating about this text is we see how he goes about doing it. First off, the unfruitful branches. I love, I absolutely love the picture of what this is talking about. Now, you might be out here going like, oh no, I'm not very fruitful, right? Like, I'm struggling, right? Or maybe like, I don't even know. I, I just started following Jesus. I have no idea what this means, right? Like, well, how does God handle, what does God do with unfruitful branches? Now, on face value, when we read this, it looks like he gets a little angry, right? It says, he, these unfruitful branches he takes away. But let's look at what is actually being said here. The word for take away in the Greek, and this is what this, the New Testament was written in, Most of it was written in Greek and Aramaic. It means to lift up, to bear up, or to pick up. Now, the reason why it's significant to understand is in a vineyard, right, there's rows. You'd be walking through a lot of times branches. They might get stepped on. They might be down behind where they're not getting sun, right? They're, They're in a space where they're not able to grow as well. Maybe the shadows are preventing them from getting to the sun. And what is... The texts say, for unfruitful branches, this should encourage your soul. He says, the vine dresser picks them up. He takes them away from where they're at. He, he pulls them up and puts them in a place where they can grow. It's as though he bears them up, cleans them off. Maybe they got trampled into the mud. And he puts them in a place so that they could see the sun grow, flourish, and bear fruit. And so the text does not say, get out, right? Get out, you're not bearing fruit, get out. That's what a lot of people have read this to say. But what it's saying is, get up, and I'm gonna help you. God is at work within us. He is working so that we might bear more fruit. And he does the same with us, right? Listen, you might be in a space where you've maybe been hiding in the shadows or you've been trampled, right? Maybe you're covered in mud. Maybe you've been struggling and wilted and not bearing much fruit, but God's heart is not to throw you away, but it's to pick you up, lift you up, clean you up, and bring you to a place where you have a clear vision of the Son, the Son of God, that he can work in you that you might bear fruit. That's what he's wanting to do in each and every one of us. But that's not all. Look what he does with the fruitful branches. And this is one of those things that doesn't make any sense, okay? It says, to the fruitful branches, he prunes. What's pruning? Anybody's done any planning? It's cutting, right? It's cutting. It, to the fruitful, it's good to keep it. This is the people, this is those that are growing and flourishing. You're like, and I wanted to, us to understand this because many of us set out over the last two weeks, I'm going to change this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start reading, right? And you're going to be bearing fruit. And then there's going to be pruning that's going to be coming. And it is not a consequence. It's not that God is mad at you. It's that God is working in you. Now, do we experience pain sometimes because we make poor choices? Absolutely. Okay? There's consequences, right? So I never want to be like, you know, you like go drunk driving, get arrested, be like, God's pruning me. It's like, no, you, you got arrested, man. Like, got a consequence. Like, it's just a thing. Right, and he might use this to bring him glory because he works all things together for the good for those that love him. Right, a call according to his purpose. But there are times when we're just going about life, and there is pain, and there's cutting, and there's it hurts, and we're going like, what is going on? And if we go by what culture tells us, especially religious culture, often they're saying when you're doing good, God's blessing; and you never have pain, and when you're doing bad, God's mad at you. And that is not true. That is not true. Sometimes rough things, tough things, happen to people that are following Jesus and are in a good place. And sometimes the people that deserve the pain the most never get it. And that's not our call, that's God's call. But how does God prune? What does God do? Now pruning is important. Pruning often involves cutting away branches that are limiting health so that the other branches could have a, a fuller um, growth, right? But, but what are the main reasons that people prune? One of them is reshaping, right? You have a tree, maybe it's like going all one direction, right? You're like, I got to cut it here so that I can get these branches over here, right? So that we can have a more balanced uh, tree, right? So there's that where you're cutting away t- for reshaping. Maybe there's dead and healthy br- uh, branches that are draining energy. So it's for health, it's for nutrition, Right, We can't have all the health going to these branches that are barely making it. We've got to give branches all like the amount so they can have health. Another often reason we prune is uh, because there's disease, right? It's for survival. Maybe diseases set in or parasites set in. We're pruning to cut away those branches so that the tree could be healthy or be saved. God does the same with us. That as we're bearing fruit, there are times where we need to be reshaped Maybe there's an area of our life that God wants to reshape into the image of Jesus. Maybe there's areas in our life that God's wanting to cut away because we're unbalanced. That we can more accurately reflect and image God. Other times, pruning involves a renewing of energy, redirecting our focus towards things of the kingdom, right? Maybe it's areas where you have too much energy, too much emphasis, too much focus is going in one direction, and it's drawing nutrients from the areas that actually matter, that are kingdom-oriented, that things that God wants to do in us. And sometimes the pruning is removing maybe spiritual disease that's crept in, things that's spreading so that we could be healthy. Either way, pruning hurts. It just does, and, but it's for our good, and it's for God's glory, and it's also proof that God is at work in your life. It's proof that God is at work in your life. that It's, it's not that God is mad at you. It's not that, you're, that he's pushing you away. It's that God is actually invested in your overall growth, health, and being fruitful. And then Jesus says something interesting to his disciples. He says, you are already clean, in verse 3, because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. This is, um, the idea here is that he's talking to the disciples, right, as he's talking about this, and other people are listening, but he's talking to his disciples, and he says, listen, because of my word, you've already been cleaned. You're already in this place of bearing fruit. You've already been picked up and cleaned off because of my word. I, l- I want to just draw a brief emphasis to that. It's, the word of God, like scripture, has a purifying effect on our soul. It is one of the key ways that God uses to clean us off, to pick us up, to let us see the sun. It's through scripture. I'm going to jump into verse 4, and I'm going to go through verse 7. And He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, it is thrown away as a branch and it withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So prove to be my disciples. This abide, word abide is mentioned seven times in eleven verses. That means it's important. The word abide means to sojourn, or to remain in a place, to to camp out, to live in that space. And Jesus, uh, it, it involves location, right? We're in Jesus. Um, so the Bible, when it talks about this, is that we're in Christ. It, it means that when we put our trust in him, it's like, it's almost that we're enveloped in his righteousness, like God sees Jesus when he sees us, right? We're in Christ. So it involves like kind of this, this spiritual location idea of being in Christ, but it also involves relationship, right? This mutual connection, that we're abiding in Jesus, that we're, we're hanging out with him, we're in his space, that we're, we're enjoying God's presence, right? Those that is kind of the key to all of this. Like if we're to simplify the growth, we're to simplify what God is wanting to accomplish in each and every one of us, it, it really begins and ends with us abiding in him. And he says a branch cannot bear fruit on its own. And it's good for us to be reminded of this, right? Like, As we're setting out and we're, you know, many of us are setting goals and we're wanting to grow, those are all very, very good things, Right? But we have to always remember that the branch draws its life and its nourishment and strength from the vine. From the vine. And as a branch doesn't work to produce the fruit all by itself, but it's drawing and growing from its connection to the vine, so we too draw from Jesus. Ultimately, what's happening is we're letting the life and the nutrients from the vine flow through us. And that brings health. That brings fruit. we too must draw our life, our nourishment, and our strength from Jesus. We're most healthy and most fruitful when we're in a healthy connection with the creator of the world, with Jesus himself, letting his life and power flow through us. Now, the reason why I mention this is it's important for us to always keep things rightly focused, right? Right? Is it good that we wanna grow and be healthy? Is it good for us wanna have and bear fruit? Is it good for us wanting to set out and make goals and do all that? Yes, absolutely, but often the fruit be- can, can become the focus. It's easy to let the fruit become the focus rather than Jesus be the focus, knowing that the fruit is a byproduct of that. Right, what ends up happening is you go like, oh man, I'm not loving enough, I'm not patient enough, I'm not caring enough. I, I, I get angry too much, right? And so what do we do? I got to work on that, right? Just white knuckle. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more loving, right? Like just, I got to do this, <laughs> right? And then you're not doing it maybe as well as you thought or hoped or what. And so what do we, we typically have two responses. We either hide and pretend, right? Just shove it down there and hope it goes away. Or we beat ourselves up. The beautiful thing about our culture is many of us have learned how to socially interact and pretend very well and hide. We know how to be holy, pretend to be at least, right? But it's good for us to remember that when we're seeing the discrepancies, when we're seeing the areas of unhealth, seeing the things pop up of unfruitfulness, when we're seeing these areas that that we just, we have to remember a couple things. One, that God has brought that to light. God is showing that to us, not because he's mad at us, but because he loves us. It's an area that he wants. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is a reminder that you are loved by God, and he is calling you back to himself. He is showing you your area. He's showing the area, not because he's mad at you, but because he wants you to see that so that you turn to him. That's what the word repent means. It means simply to turn and trust, right? It's like I'm pursuing this thing, or I'm looking at this thing, or I'm focused on this thing, and God's going to be like, man, I love you. Turn to me right? So what we're seeing in this is Jesus is reminding his disciples that apart from me, you can do nothing, right? And so when we're struggling, when we're not doing as well as we want, when we're we're not loving as much or kind as enough, then the answer isn't try harder, but it's abide more. It is cling to Jesus, pursue Jesus, Push into that relationship and as we grow more in love with Jesus, as we are changed by the love that he has for us, unconditional, stuff that we can't earn or maintain, that has a profound effect on our soul and it changes us. And you will find that your efforts of wanting to love more, be kind, will start to grow. Not because you're trying harder, but because you're loving Jesus more and it's changing us. We're taking God's word in. We're letting it abide in us. We're letting God work out the weeds that have grown up. We're letting God nourish us and fruits the byproduct. Now, I need to draw brief attention to this passage here where it talks about the branches aren't bearing fruit. He takes them away and they're withered. He throws them away and they're burned by fire. Okay. What this is not saying is that if you don't figure this out, you're going to go burn in hell. I have to say this because, you know, I I work uh, in an environment where I have a lot of people that aren't very religious, but you know what the number one thing they communicate to me about what they think being a Christian is is people doing good things that go to heaven and people that do bad things that go to hell. And, um, There is hell is a whole other thing. Jesus talked about it a lot. But what this passage is not talking about, he's talking to people that are part of the vine, right? He's talking about people that are involved with bearing fruit. And and what would often happen in vineyards is a lot of weeds and different things or different plants would grow up and they'd be taking nutrients from the vine, right? They would they'd be taking things from the actual growth of everything else. And I think we see that in church life, right? There's a lot of times where people are coming in and And maybe they're not in a good space, whatever, and they're drawing nutrients and stuff. And there's a time where people are taking out of that space, and that's okay. And the vine dresser is the one that's the one at work. He's the one that's changing. He's the one that's choosing what that looks like. It's not like we're looking at that uh, people and go, that's one of the weeds. They need to go, right? Like, we're not doing that. It's not our call. But the idea is that sometimes God weeds people out of community, of fellowship, and takes them out of that space so that the rest of the plants can be healthy and grow, Right? That's what's really going on in the text, because he reminds us about what he does with unfruitful branches that are connected to the vine, right? He pulls them up, picks them up, lets them see the sun, right? He's pruning. That's God's desire with unfruitful plants. This is not talking about, these are plants that are not actually even connected to the vine. This is God's heart, is that we bear fruit. And at the end of the day, it's verse 8 of of 15. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified when we bear fruit. Disciples of Jesus bear fruit. Maybe not a lot, but we're, we're growing in that way. It happens. Here's the key to this. It's not that our fruit makes us disciples, right? It's not that us doing good things and doing, obeying all the rules makes us a follower of Jesus. But it's rather... Followers of Jesus start growing and bearing fruit. Followers of Jesus are trying to honor him, are trying to obey him, right? It's a a natural response to who we are. And the key with all of this is we see that the purpose and what God is wanting to do is he's wanting uh, to be glorified, right? What is glorified? Glorified means simply, uh, if I can make it simply put, make much of, right? God is the hero, right? When people look at us, they go, man, God is good. God is awesome. It is an idea of having joy, experiencing peace, like we're, we're, we're showing kindness, we're demonstrating goodness, all so that people can see god ultimately that people recognize that it's god that's doing the work and this is such a beautiful conclusion ultimately to the larger story right that if we go all the way back to genesis we see that in the beginning god made humans and he made them as to be image bearers of god that we would communicate something about god to each other and to the rest of the world and we see that because of sin and brokenness that was destroyed and, and our, we were imaging really weird things and sometimes we still do but because Jesus and he came, he lived this life that we're unable to live. Like he, he lived the perfect standard of God for us so that he can reinstitute this idea that we can image him again. And so we see it come full circle that as God is working and as we're growing and as he's pruning and as he's lifting us up and he's doing this work, we're, we're doing it in such a way that people are seeing the God of the universe again at work in us. We're imaging him because of Jesus. Jesus. And that's God's heart. God is glorified in that. It's not that we're seen as great, but that as God is seen as great. Ultimately, our fruit in our life is proof that God is at work in us. Not as much so as that we're at work. And that we're functioning as we're originally designed. Here's the reality. We're all going to set out and try To honor God, and sometimes we're going to be successful at it, and a lot of times we're going to fail. It's plain and simple. We live in a culture that says that our performance, especially when it comes to spiritual things, is how we're approved. That's where we have our worth, that's where we have our value. That when we do well, we're acceptable, and when we don't do well, we're not acceptable. That is not good news. That's bad news. You know, the word gospel means good news. Like I said, God created this world perfect and holy in every way. And we broke it. Humans broke it. We broke it, and we've been kind of contributing to the brokenness ever since. And God did have a standard for us to be a restored relationship with him, and that's why he gave his law. And that law is daunting, and it's hard, and you know what? We can't do it. The Bible tells us that when Jesus came to earth, not only did he die the death that we deserve, the consequence for our rebellion against God, the Bible tells us that he lived the life that we're unable to live. He lived a perfect life of fruitfulness. He did everything right. He obeyed the law to the, to the perfect point. Like every aspect that we're setting up to do, Jesus did and accomplished in perfection. And so what happens when We see Jesus as a Savior of the world. What happens when we trust Him? What's taking place as we're understanding that Jesus, I have messed up. I cannot do this. I need forgiveness. Jesus' death and resurrection covered that. He died the death that we deserve so that we could be forgiven. And we're trusting Him in that. But not only that, when we trust Jesus, we are also then given his track record of righteousness. That when God sees us, he sees Jesus. That's the word, the technical theological term is imputed righteousness. That the righteousness of Jesus is transferred to us. So that when we come before God, God sees us as he sees his son. When we come before God, we're at, in our, it's called, also called justified, in our justified state, when God sees us, he sees Jesus' track record of righteousness. And so that frees us from having to come in with like, hunched over like, oh my gosh, I just can't get this right. We're able to go like, Jesus, thank you that you did everything necessary for me to be acceptable to God. And Hebrews tells us that we're able to come boldly into the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. That we're able to come in, not because I've done it all, not because I've figured it all out, not because my track record is awesome, but because Jesus' track record is awesome and we're able to come in on his righteousness before God, being fully loved and fully accepted because of Jesus. Knowing that, yes, we've screwed up, and yes, we've messed up, but Jesus paid for that on the cross with his death, and he rose again, conquering death for all time. That, that is good news. That makes it where we can try hard to love God and love our neighbor. We can run with all our effort knowing that in when we fail, Jesus took care of it. And when we succeed, it's still Jesus. We can run hard not having to worry about doing everything just right. Did I do enough for God to love me? He loves you as much as he's ever going to love you. And he'll never not love you. You can't escape it. You can't add to what Jesus did on the cross. You can't add to the work that Jesus did. You are fully loved and fully accepted when we trust Jesus and that's it. Because of Jesus. So my encouragement to you, run hard. Make goals, make them lofty, fine. Read the Bible, in whatever your goal is that you want to grow in Jesus, do it with all your heart. Knowing that when you don't succeed, maybe you do, that your standing with Jesus isn't changed. That you are acceptable to the Father because of Christ. And in those moments of failure, in the moments of guilt, in the moments of shame, when they set in, abide in Jesus. Cling to him because he is the only one that makes you righteous, right? We don't, we're not our shame. We're not our sin. We're not our success, right? Those are usually the two approaches that we have when we come to God. I think, man, I am a mess. I'm, a, I'm broken. I'm this. I'm just, right. I'm just, or like, God, I'm killing it. I did read my Bible in a year. Of course you're going to love me more. But the best space to be in, actually, is hands empty clinging to Jesus. That's, that's it. That's, that is the end of the story. And so as we close out our time, if you haven't trusted Jesus and you want to, I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything. But simply it's a prayer, you know. It could be anywhere. It could be right now. And it's simply saying, Jesus, I trust you. I want to trust you. I want that I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense, maybe. But I want that. I want to be forgiven. I want your righteousness. I trust you. And you'll be surprised at just something as simple as that, what the Lord does, and how he just begins to change you from the inside out. Let him worry about working on those branches. Trust him. And for the rest of us, like I said, run hard trusting the same gospel, the good news that is bringing people into the kingdom of God is the same gospel we need every single day. We need to be reminded that I'm forgiven. We need to be reminded that I'm only acceptable because of Jesus. That's why Paul said, as you've received Christ, right, so walk in him. It's the same way. So we're going to close out and worship worshiping we can come up. We're going to have, um, we have communion elements available up front. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you're welcome to take this whenever you'd like. We don't have a set time to take it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, do not, you know, it might be a weird thing. Come talk to me about it afterwards. You don't have to, don't, it's not for you. It's for those that want to respond to Jesus. Now, what happens when we're taking this is we are remembering what Jesus has done. We're remembering that his blood was shed for us. His body was broken for us. We're remembering that he has done everything we talked about, that he has done it all, that we're able to know him. That's what's taking place. It's, we're doing it in remembrance. So let me pray And we'll continue. Father, we thank you that you're faithful and good. Lord, we thank you that we can run hard knowing that our position with you is fixed, that your love is constant. Thank you, Jesus, that you've paid for the areas of our failures and that we can trust you.